All right. Good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, if I don't know you, my name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, excited to continue our series today called Truth and Power. We kicked this series off last week. And if you missed it, I would really encourage you to go online, uh, listen to the message that we posted there on our podcast. You can find it. Uh, but in this series, we're going to be talking about the concept of justice. And uh, when you think about justice, you might think about courts and lawyers and judges and that. But justice is a much bigger concept than that. And, and when we go to the Bible uh, to learn about what does the Bible have to say about justice. Uh, at the foundation of what the Bible has to say about justice, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a primarily relational concept. And it's based on this truth that every human being, all of us here today, we are, as we just sang, the sons and daughters of God. That's not just the people in this room, it's everybody in the world. We're created by God. And therefore, every person that you meet, you meet no ordinary people. Every person that you meet is endowed with value and with worth and is worthy of being treated with dignity and respect by other people because they were created by God. But we know that that's not the world that we live in. That's where injustice is created. In the story of of Scripture, God calls his people to live righteously, rightly. We talked about this last week. That is to treat other people in that way, treat people uh, in in the way that, that they were created Uh, to be created with dignity and honor, and that's the way they're supposed to be treated. But when that doesn't happen, and there is injustice, God's people are called to step in and to do something about that. And, and throughout the scriptures, we see that, that there are times when, when Israel went afoul of that, where they didn't do what God asked them to do. And we looked at this book. It's gonna be a guiding book for us uh, throughout this series, the book of Amos, because Amos was a prophet, uh, which is one of the people, God rose up these people who would come and speak to Israel and say, you're going the wrong way. You're not living rightly and you're not correcting the injustices that we see in your, in your, in your country. You need to turn around. You need to go the other direction. And so uh, what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're actually going to listen to people who are actually doing what Amos did, which is to see injustice, to see when things are not right, when people are not being treated in the way that they should be treated in our world. And we're going to learn from them to find out what have they done. And I'm so excited to get started this week uh, with Sarah Jackson. Sarah Jackson is the director of an organization called Casa de Paz, which is located in Aurora. And their primary mission is to show love and kindness and hospitality. Uh, to detainees who are coming out of the immigration facility there in, in Aurora and to their families. And so Sarah's been hard at this work for uh, many years. She's been profiled in local and national and international media um, telling her story. And it's, it's an amazingly powerful story and I'm excited to get to share it with you. So join me in welcoming Sarah Jackson. You got a woo. Woo! Oh, does it count if I do my own woo? (laughs) For starters, I would love to just let you tell those who don't know about Casa de Paz, what is it you guys do? Just paint a picture for the work that you guys are doing there at the Casa. Yeah, so we do just very basic hospitality stuff that's not brain surgery or rocket science, just basic stuff that humans need to survive. Um, There's an immigrant detention center just maybe 15 minutes away from here where both asylum seekers are being imprisoned as well as immigrants who have lived in the United States for a period of time and been arrested by ICE, by immigration. Um, And so when someone is lucky enough to win their case or they've been released on a bond, they're 
released from this prison and they're left with nothing. They have no money, they have no cell phone. Uh, they, even if they had a phone, who are they gonna call? Most of their family and friends live somewhere else in the United States. So what we do at the CASA is uh, pick up immigrants who have been released from the detention center, bring them to the home, Casa de Paz, and we um, just help them make that transition from detention to their family and friends that are somewhere else in the United States, whether that's Florida or Chicago or Dallas, wherever. Uh, when they're at our home, we have uh, telephones and phone um, computers that they can use to contact their family, start looking for a plane ticket or a bus ticket to get home. Uh, and then once they've got their ticket, um, we have a meal together, we have clothing, we have have backpacks, we have toiletries, um, but above and beyond all that like practical stuff, we provide um, just, uh, well not even provide, we have a, a gift to welcome people and to tell them we're glad you're here, we're, we're, we're glad that you're free, and we're excited for you to get back to your family, and we're, we're just there with them, our gift of presence. Yeah, I think that's the thing that's, that's, that when I first found out about CASA that struck me as we were talking about it earlier today. Regardless of what you think about immigration or what good policy is, you, you guys are just doing the really simple thing of loving and caring for people. These are people who've been processed through the system, they've been released, they're not, they're, they're, you know, they're, they haven't snuck here, they're, like they've been released out of the detention center, but, but what a lot of people don't know, what I didn't know, is that the, the, the way the detention center complexes work is they could have been picked up in Texas and then transported here because they didn't have room. And then their, their case is processed and they're released. And being released just means they are given whatever they came into the center with and then they're just dropped off. They, they just walk out the front door. Uh, sometimes not, if they were picked up in Texas in, in, in January and they show up in Denver in January, they don't have a coat. And so you guys are just saying, these are people who just need to be cared for in a basic way, which I really, I really love. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, it's, like you said, it, at the end of the day, this isn't about, you know, a policy or uh, who are we voting for or what any of that. It's, there's a human being that is, when I, when I first started the CASA, I was literally across the street from the detention center. Yeah. So it was literally my neighbor <laughs> who was homeless now right. on the streets. And the detention center is off of uh, like Peoria and Colfax area. So that's like East Colfax. Not a fun place to be with nothing and in a vulnerable state. And so at the end of the day, it's about a person in my backyard or in my city or in my state or in my country who, you know, um, if I was in their situation, if I was in their shoes, I would want a kind person coming alongside of me and showing the love of God. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, and it doesn't hurt that it's a very practical way with a meal yeah, or a exactly. ride to the airport. Or a warm jacket. Or, or a yeah. warm jacket. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I want to go back to the beginning of your story because one of the things when we looked at Amos was we, you know, we, we're looking at this story and at the beginning of the story, I mean, he's a shepherd, he's a, he's a farmer and, and yet he's called by God to go and he, to speak truth to, to power, to speak to the king of Israel. Where did this journey begin for you? What, what, was, what was the first step of being stirred? What, what did you see and say, that's not right? 
like, I need to do something. Yeah, so I'm like totally not like Amos. I'm not a farmer or a shepherd. I actually don't even like nature. Okay. I went, I went so camping. So first prerequisite, you don't have to be a shepherd. I went, to, to I went camping last week for the first time in like 10 years. And then literally the next day I got violently ill. Like it was a sign. Like it's just not for me. Um, but I was actually working at a church in Colorado Springs about 10 years ago, never knowing about immigrant detention centers, never knowing that families were being separated never knowing that there were people who wanted to be with their family that couldn't be with their family. Um, and I was just living this like perfect little life, I thought. I just went to work, I got off work, I'd go to the gym, I'd go home, I'd make dinner, and I'd go to sleep, and I'd do it all over again. And then one day, I got to the office. I was the pastor's assistant. Um, do you have an assistant? I do not. Well, sorry. sorry. No, well, I'm not like, do you have one? Um, but uh, anyways. I'm not, that important. I'm not that important, Sarah. Some pastors have assistants, and Rude. some of those assistants, like me, I would go through our pastor's email in the morning, mm-hmm. and I would read the emails and then kind of respond to the ones I could respond to and delete the junk stuff. So then when he got to the office, he only had, you know, best case scenario, three emails to respond to. Yeah. Doesn't that Sounds sound nice. good? It does sound nice. <laughs> Um, So I got to the office one day, I started going through his emails, and I realized there was an invitation from Catholic Charities. Uh, They had invited our pastor to go down to the Mexico-U.S. border to learn more about not only immigration policies, but what do we as people of faith, how do we respond when immigrants come to the country that we live in through a biblical perspective? And so I checked the dates of the trip, and I looked at our pastor's calendar, and I realized he was not available that week. He already had something else scheduled. So I was just about to type out my I reply to tell them, thank you so much for the invitation. We're very honored. We're not able to attend. And as I was typing it out, I just scanned the email again. And at the very bottom, these words popped out. And the words literally changed my life. Um, but they it was all expenses paid trip to Mexico. (laughs) And then I was super interested in this. And I changed my response and I said, we are able to attend, not our pastor, but I am. And so I just really wanted a free trip to Mexico. Like, I'm serious. I, I, when I read that phrase, I, immediately I thought of myself on the beach with a pina colada getting a tan. Now, this is like how God works in mysterious ways, right? Like, even in the email, it said that we were going to be going to Arizona. Where is there a beach in Arizona? But it's I'm, all beach. It's all, in Arizona, there's well, no there's no beach. water, but there's well, just sand. true. There is a lot of sand. Um, so I, I went on that trip uh, with this idea of just having an adventure, a vacation. And when I was there, I met people, like real people, face to face, who told me their stories. And so it was, I was hearing stories like Abel, who we were having dinner at a homeless shelter for men who had just been deported from the United States. Abel had been brought to the United States as a young child. He grew up here. He went to school here. He fell in love here. He had a family here. He had a job here. He was a contributing member of society. And he was actually on his way to pick up his children from school one 
one afternoon when a police officer pulled him over for driving under the speed limit in a school zone. And Abel did not have a driver's license because he was undocumented. They found that out. They arrested him. They put him into a local jail. And then, like you mentioned earlier, people can be transferred around. So he was originally detained in Washington, and then he was transferred to another detention center. Uh, people can get transferred as many times as as the detention centers want them to. They say that it's based on bed space, but we've seen people be transferred to remove them from their community or to remove them from their support system. And Abel was telling me that, you know, he had never committed a crime while he was in the United States. He was paying his taxes. He had a job. He had a U.S. citizen wife, three U.S. citizen children, and yet he was still deported. He was telling me this and I just thought, there's, there's no way that this could happen. That this country that I grew up in that you know, I heard over and over and over was believed in the, the value of family and the, uh, based on, on um, Christian principle that we could treat our neighbor like this, a, a good, dedicated, loving father. I, I met a, a young lady um, who was fleeing Mexico uh, because she was being persecuted uh, for um, her religious beliefs. Uh, I met her in the desert. She was still on the Mexico side of the border. We were actually putting water out in the desert so that immigrants who are crossing don't die because thousands of people have died just because of the lack of water. So we were putting water out there and we ran into this group of, of immigrants and this young lady was pregnant and she, it was cold. We went in February, it was really cold in Mexico and she had a thin long sleeve shirt on. She didn't have a coat and the group with her, they thought that they were just about to reach the border where they would be able to voluntarily turn themselves into a border patrol agent and ask for asylum, which is their legal right. Uh, but they were actually hours and hours and hours away from the border um, and they were going to be stuck in the desert where it was freezing. And I, I looked at this young lady and it was no longer this stranger or the other. I saw my sister in her face. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking, if this was my sister yeah. and my sister was pregnant and she was in the middle of a desert, I would never want her to go through this. Like, so if I truly love, am supposed to love my neighbor as I love myself or as I love my family, then I have to do this for the, yeah. the, the stranger. Jesus tells me I have to. Yeah. And so you see and you meet, this is the personal face. This is not an abstract concept of immigration or this is, these are people. And so I'm guessing you couldn't just go back and keep answering the pastor's emails uh, <laughs> after that. What, what, what changed, what shifted in you? And, and you know, from where the CASA is today, it's so, it seems to, to be like, oh, this is such an amazing thing, and you just started it. I'm guessing that was a long, winding journey. What were the first steps you began to take to begin to enter into the complicated things you were seeing and experiencing? Yeah, well, actually, I tried to go back to just responding to email because I didn't want to change. Like, I knew, like, in my gut, there was something saying your life is about to change, and I don't like change. Like, I, not, like, the change where you don't know what's about to happen. So I just kept saying, no, no, no. And then finally I got tired of saying no. So I moved up to Denver. I rented a one-bedroom apartment, which was right across the street from the detention center. And the original concept of the CASA, and we still do, uh, is to host families who are actually driving in from out of town to visit their loved one who is locked up. So maybe there's a mom and 
four kids and a dad that live in Tennessee and the mother is detained and then transferred over here to Aurora. Well, if the family wanted to come visit her, then they could stay in the Casa, Casa de Paz for free. I love this picture, um, by the way. Oh, yeah. Families <laughs> visiting. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, just like this picture, uh, there's, uh, there's the visits in the detention center are non-contact. So they, so even if that dad and the four kids from Tennessee came to visit their mom, they wouldn't be able to give her a hug. Um, it's all done through a telephone, through a glass window. Um, so that was the original concept was just to provide a, a place so that a family could come and stay, uh, be here for a few days so they could visit their mom or their dad. Um, and then they'd go back to their, uh, to their home. Um, but then one thing kind of led to another and because we were so close to the detention center like from my bedroom window I could see the detention detention center um, we just started receiving immigrants who were being released mm -hmm. because we would get a call from a guard who we became friends with and they'd say hey I'm about to release this young woman she's from El Salvador and her family lives in Mississippi and she has nowhere to go and she needs help to get to her family. Would you let her stay with you? Um, I couldn't like make up an ex what am I going to say? Like, oh no, sorry, traffic's really bad. Can't, can't walk across the street today. Like that's just too much. Like, no, like of course. So I was, that's kind of how the whole post release support thing came into play. It was just, oh yeah, we're here and they need a place to stay for a couple of days as they make their transition. And so seven years ago, I literally thought it would always just be me sharing my apartment with families and doing this for the rest of my life. And I was very happy with that idea. I felt, I felt very fulfilled and like, oh, I kind of like know why I was created, kind of a feeling. Uh, but now fast forward seven years later, we have we have an actual home now. Uh, it's not an apartment. We moved into a home a, few, a couple of years ago, um, and we have our post-release support program. We also have families that stay with us, and then we also have a visitation program. So we go into the detention center and visit people who are in prison, like Jesus said to do. <laughs> and um, we have, we're all volunteers. I have a day job, all of our volunteers have jobs. But in the evenings is when we come together to provide this hospitality. And we have a network of literally hundreds of people that make it happen um, from the picking up of people who are being released to bringing meals for them, to donating clothes, to then giving them a ride to the airport or visiting people in the detention center. Um, so it, yeah, it didn't happen overnight, yeah. uh, but it's been a really cool journey. Yeah. What have you learned along the way? I mean, one of the things we talked about, we were talking about before the service was, you know, when you see something that's, that's wrong and needs to be changed, often with compassionate hearts, we can jump in and start doing things and make things messier. Or are there mistakes uh, that you've made along the way or things you've learned that you look back and you think, oh, if I could go back seven years ago, I would have done this differently? Are there things you've learned along the way or things you would, you would change about how you've approached what you've done? Yeah, I mean, I think that every little decision and choice that we made has led us to where we are now, and I literally have no regrets, and I, I'm glad that I didn't know what I didn't know when I started. Mm -hmm. Not that I wouldn't have done it still, but it's just... I mean, even though, yes, we've made mistakes, we've learned along the way, and we experiment, and then we realize, oh, that doesn't work. Uh, I guess one of the things that I would have, it would have been 
nice to understand and fully grasp is that it wasn't always going to just just be me. Yeah. And that you have an exam you have an opportunity to incarnate something and then just watch like other people come alongside you. Whether that's with the Casa one person now turning into hundreds of volunteers right. or one person at your church. We have a volunteer, his name is Greg, and he started visiting immigrants in the detention center, just him uh, alone a couple years ago. And then he'd invite someone from his small group, and then mm. members from his small group started visiting. And now, two years later, Greg leads four different groups that go on Sunday afternoons mm. to go visit people. Yeah. And dozens of people are involved now on a weekly basis. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily from doing, you know, recruitment, volunteer trainings, or it wasn't, you know, the coolest looking flyers. It was like just you doing what you knew what was the right thing to do. Yeah. Has that been hard as it's grown to give it away to other people to feel like it's, or, or, or to trust other people to do things the way that, that you would do them? Well, no one ever does things the way you want them to be done. Let's Correct. just be honest. Let's be honest. That's, that's exactly right. <laughs> um, but um, it's funny because I never thought of myself as a perfectionist. And then I realized there was actually a flyer that I was trying to make that literally took me six months to make. <laughs> and my mom was like, Sarah, maybe you should just like not worry about these things. <laughs> like there's, yeah. So um, I... Uh, it's been, it's actually fun to watch what happens when you step out of the way because you can have such a bigger impact. Last summer, we had a bunch of parents stay in our home who's, um, have you all heard of the zero tolerance policy last summer that hit the news? I see some heads nodding. So that was a policy that was, um, that was, saying, you know, anybody who crosses the border, their child will be taken away from them. Um, And the child will be put into an immigrant detention center, and then the parent will be put into an immigrant detention center, but different ones, and not in the same city. Like, we're going to move a child to New York, and we're going to keep the parent in California. And so about 50 of those parents came to the detention, they were transferred from the border where they had turned themselves in for asylum, uh, and then they were transferred up here to Aurora. And when the community at large found out that there were family, uh, there were moms and dads being detained whose children were also in prisons, uh, they said, you know, not on my watch kind of a thing. And so we raised up a lot of money to bond out these parents. Um, The average cost today for an asylum seeker uh, who has come to the United States, uh, their bond on on average is $8,000. So they're very expensive and a lot of people can't afford to pay that. But because people donated, we were able to bond all of these parents out and get them released from the detention center so that they could then begin the process of finding where their child was being detained and then trying to get their children out of detention. And that was, I mean, we, before then, we were kind of running about 300 volunteers um, and getting everything done really well. But then when that hit the news, people said, what can I do to help? And at our next volunteer training, we actually had over 300 people show up. So overnight, we doubled our volunteer base. And it was fun to watch because we were getting invited to speak at different churches or to give an informational session or to do this or that. And I couldn't do everything. Mm -hmm. And so I had to step back and I had to ask for help and let other people do those those things. And the 
the impact that we were able to have just by me saying I can't was way bigger than if I would have just said, yeah, but we'll schedule that in six months. Like, <laughs> I just can't do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you may have answered this a little bit, but I'm wondering, um, you know, as the CASA has grown, you've had this really clear and simple mission, which is beautiful. Um, is there anything new that's catching your attention these days? Something that you feel like as the CASA has grown and has more influence and, and maybe more opportunity to engage with things, what are you seeing today that needs your attention or that's drawing you in the same way that seven years ago, just this idea of hospitality drew you before? Yeah, there's a few things that our volunteer base has come forward with ideas to either add programming to the CASA or make something a completely new project. And so my kind of leadership style is, oh, that's a great idea. Make it happen. And it, they've, they have. So we actually have a, one of our volunteers, Francie, who started an immigration bond fund so that people can donate to a bond fund and then we're able to bond people out of the detention center. Uh, we have another volunteer, Denise, who really wants to start a sponsorship program. Um, there's a gentleman from uh, Nicaragua who was part of the military for 19 years. And there was a protester against the government that was on the streets protesting. And the, this gentleman uh, was given orders by the government to shoot him dead because he was saying something against the government. And he said, no, I'm not going to shoot him. He has a right to be on the streets saying what he believes. And because of that, the military turned around and came after him and tried to kill him. He fled Nicaragua, came to the United States, um, thinking that he could find safety here and protection. Um, he doesn't have any family or friends here in the United States, so he doesn't have a sponsor. And because of that fact, the judge here in Aurora said that this gentleman is a flight risk, meaning if he was to be bonded out, that there's a huge chance that he would not show up to his following court appearance because he doesn't have a US sponsor. And because of that, the judge placed this guy's bond at $45,000. And if he did have a US sponsor, then he would be able to have a lower bond and be able to be released from the detention center where he could continue to fight his legal case just not being locked up in a prison. Um, so Denise is starting a sponsorship program um, and uh, um, I don't know what to say that, but um, yeah, I think um, for me, I I know like what our my vision or my calling from God was was to provide hospitality in the very basic way to families and then to immigrants leaving the detention center. And so I've been really laser focused on that, especially until we're renting our home right now, and I really want to buy our own home. But I'm also like the most stressed out person in the world, and I don't want to take out a mortgage because I just don't want to add to my stress. So we want I want to buy it with cash. So we're about halfway there now. We're saving. And so until we get to that point, I'm just going to continue to encourage people who have ideas to, to take the initiative and to make it happen. Yeah. You, I mean, you may have answered this question, but I was actually thinking as you're talking, I mean, this thing can get, you know, it can, can get big and it can, can get off mission. It's so interesting to hear that for you, that's the clear calling is to hospitality. Um, I'm sure you've been asked to lend your voice and to lend the CASA's influence to a lot of other things. How do you navigate saying no to things that are good things, but you feel like would take you off that mission? How, how do you navigate that or decide? It, it sounds like community is a big part of that. Are there other ways that you discern? How do I focus? I mean, I think the 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 gift that I, I really do believe that the CASA was a gift to me. Hmm. 
and that it was, I mean, last summer when hundreds and thousands of people were kind of panicked, what do we do? What do we do with all these families that are being separated? It was like, well, I felt very blessed to have this peace that I knew. Um, and it's hard to say no when other opportunities exist because it there is a sense of, well, I guess I could do another hour a week or another hour a day. But at, at the, I mean, last summer, I also had a little bit of a nervous breakdown. A little bit? A little bit. <laughs> By a little bit, I mean a lot. And of course, I lost it on my mom. Like the one person who you would never want to be mean to. I had my nervous breakdown with her. And I remember thinking, I can't continue this way. And I have to realize that in order to do this for the long haul, like I, I can only do a little bit for a long time. I can't do a lot. I could do a lot for a little bit of time. But I would rather know that in 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, the Casa is still going. And 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 that I'm, I'm also happy. If I'm not happy, then it's or our volunteers aren't happy. Like, can you imagine having a home where people are just like, the volunteers yeah. are grumpy? Like, and I've done it before. Like when a guest gets there and I'm tired and I just want to have some peace and quiet and I just want to like be able to walk out in the middle of the night to the fridge and get ice cream in my pajamas. I don't <laughs> want there to be a guest. Like I've had those moments, but like, it, you, that's not a, like, welcome. We're glad you're released from the detention center. Now get out. Like, no, <laughs> like we want, I want to be in a healthy place so that our home can continue to have that feeling. And we had one of our guests who was, released from the detention center. His name is Shoeb. He's from Bangladesh. Um, when I first started the CASA, I thought, oh, all of the people in detention centers are from Mexico. Like, that's what I thought. But it's not true. We've hosted over 2,000 guests so far um, and from over 30 countries. So all over the world, um, we've opened the doors of our home to guests from but Shoeb uh, from Bangladesh, he was released from the detention center after two and a half years of being locked up. And this is a prison. Like, I know I use the word detention center because that's what we're familiar hearing, but this is a prison. It's a for-profit prison, by the way. So these prisons are making money off of immigrants who are detained. Um, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE. ICE is over here. They are responsible for the detainment of immigrants. They go over to these for-profit prisons. So the one in Aurora is called GEO. It's run by this prison called GEO. Um, they make a contract together, and ICE says, okay, we are, we are going to pay you, on average, about $145 per day to detain one person. And GEO looks at that and sees the bottom line, which is profit, and they say, absolutely. How many do you want us to detain? We'll detain thousands for you. And so these prisons are making billions, literally billions of dollars in profit. And um, for an adult, it's $145 a day. Um, Does anyone want to try to guess how much our government is paying? So that's you and me, taxpayers, how much we're paying for a child in detention? If adults is cost 145, how much? Yeah, how much do you think? 200? How much? $70? Yes. $750 per day, per child. So Shoeb was detained in one of these prisons that, you know, they have windows in their pods like this, but they're blacked out, so they can't see outside. They can't go outside. There's no access to outdoor time. Everything that they do is in their pod. 
24-7. They eat there. They sleep there. They go to the bathroom. They take showers. For two and a half years, this was Shoeb's reality. Mm. And he finally was released after he won his asylum case. And he was so thankful to be free. And we welcomed him into our home. And I will never forget, within a few seconds, he had just walked up the stairs and he got to the living room and he stopped. And I thought he was going to like turn around and leave. Like I didn't know what was happening. He just stopped. And he said, I can feel the love in this home. And that doesn't just come from me. I mean, that comes from the literally hundreds of people who come in and are so happy to just see that there's somebody there in the home who, you know, they, can, they, they just want a moment and an opportunity to be kind to them, right? It's yeah. not rocket science. Yeah. It's simple. Yeah. So I, w- I want you, one more, we're going to wrap up here in a minute, but um, there's somebody who's sitting at their desk answering emails every day and there's something stirring inside of them. Maybe it's not immigration, maybe it's something different. What would you say to that person? If you could say, if you could go back to the you eight, 10 years ago, who was sitting at their desk just doing um, email and, and something was stirring, what would you say looking back to that person who's considering stepping out or taking a risk or getting involved, making their life more complicated by, by moving into this area of justice? What would you say to that person who's here today? Uh, I would encourage them to keep answering their emails and also maybe to answer my emails too. That would be awesome. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, I would say just do something. It doesn't have to be big and it can be something small. Bring over, you know, and you're right. It doesn't have to be immigration related. I would never be this excited. I saw somebody posting the other day about how they had just taken like several tons of plastic from the ocean and it was like life-changing experience and they were so happy and I was happy for them but I don't think taking plastic out of the ocean would like fill me up in the same way that I get that feeling at the Casa. So find what it is that might excite you or scare you a little bit. It's okay to be scared because I was scared. I still am scared. Um, And just do something. Something small, something maybe that could get your toe in the water. Um, you have a real life CASA volunteer in your church. Tom has been a volunteer with the CASA, and I asked him ahead of time if he would be willing to have conversations with y'all about what that might look like. Um, but specifically, if you're interested, and this has kind of caught your attention a little bit, we have a lot of ways to get plugged in, whether that's bringing over a backpack for a, a guest who's been released and they need something to carry their essential items with them. Or maybe you're really good at cleaning and you want to come clean or organize. Or maybe you're a great chef and you want to come make a meal so that our guests can have something delicious to eat. Or maybe you would like to visit someone who's locked in detention. Or maybe you want to pick up somebody who's been released from the detention center and bring them to the home and help them reunite with their family. We have volunteer trainings uh, um, normally the first Saturday of every month, but we actually have our next one this Saturday um, coming up. And there's a variety of ways to get involved with the CASA, but there's a ton of other opportunities, and a lot of you are, I'm sure, I'm sure are already vo- volunteering and serving, and I would just, con- um, I would, the same encouragement that I tell myself, which is that um, you just find something, and you do, you just do something. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be life-changing. I mean, it changed my life in a great way, but it can also be very small, but those small, um, things matter. And I actually, sorry, I know we're running out of time, but I want to read a text just to kind of show you 
prove to, whoa, prove to you <laughs> <laughs> that these simple acts of kindness can, mat- it can mean something. And even though it might not feel like it at the time, like, oh, I just picked up someone and I just gave them a ride, like, did that really matter? Um, let's see. One of our volunteers sent me an, a text at the end of the night after she had volunteered, and she just kind of gave an update on how the night went. Do you want to talk for tw- 20 seconds while I try to find this? Sure. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Sarah is actually going to be uh, around afterwards, and, and several of us have been through the training before. Um, Tom has served. Uh, Carla Foote has served. But she'll also be hanging around if you guys want to come up and ask questions. Specifically, if something stirred in you about this issue of immigration and, and, and again, the simple things, being a part of the simple things that the CASA is doing to show love and kindness. Um, I, know, I know she would be glad. She brought some flyers and would be glad to give those uh, to you to give you more information. Did I talk long enough? Or, Shoot, I, mean, so I just, this was more. such a good text and I can't find it. Ha ha, found it. Perfect, right on time. Okay, so Molly sent me this text after she spent the evening volunteering with us and she said, here are some sound bites from last night. This was from a gentleman who stayed with us from Cuba. Freedom, freedom, there is no better feeling. And what would we do if there were no volunteers to pick us up? We don't know where to go, what to do. This is the greatest blessing and I will never forget anything about this day. Then she says, a Guatemalan man said this will be the first time he'll see his family in 12 years. Another Cuban said it's been a year, almost to the day, since he left Cuba in a boat for Honduras, and he's so happy to be here after a very, very difficult journey and time in detention. Once they all ate dinner and had their rides figured out, the ones that were staying the night all asked to watch Game of Thrones. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And now we're turning them into Americans. Sarah, thank you so much for being here with us today. I couldn't think of a better way to start uh, just this, this exploration of what it looks like to do justice. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Let's, let's give Sarah a hand. You know, I, I think Norton or I or Dan could stand up here and preach about what justice looks like, but it's a whole lot different to see what it looks like embodied in someone's life. And so thank you, Sarah, for providing us such a clear picture of what it looks like to not just see the injustice that's happening in the world where people are not being treated with dignity and honor and, and value, but also to step into that. And thanks for your courage. Um, as we close up, um, I want to invite the band to come up and I want to pray um, for Sarah and just that God would... Use her words uh, to stir in us. So join me as, uh, as we pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, uh, we just reaffirm that we believe that every person on this planet has, wor- has worth and has value and is worthy of being treated with dignity and respect regardless of where they were born, regardless of their ethnicity or their background, regardless old or young, strong or weak, rich or poor, we believe that's to be true, that to be true. Help us uh, to learn what it looks like to, to show love and kindness and hospitality to the other, people who are different than us and people who um, have not been treated in that way. Thank you so much for Sarah and for the CASA. Um, I pray for her that you would continue to give her 
just that same laser clarity that you've given her so far these seven years um, as she started the CASA. They give her great clarity about where she's to give her time, her energy, and her, her effort. Uh, protect her, uh, help her to, um, to not burn herself out, um, and help her to uh, have many, many people come around her who share her heart and her love uh, for the immigrant. And uh, I pray, God, for, for all of us who are here today, that, that Sarah's words would not just come and go, uh, but that, that some of her words would become your words to us, that you would stir something in us, um, whether that's getting involved in the casa or getting involved um, praying more diligently or thinking more about how, they can, how someone here can get involved in immigration or something else. God, use her example to challenge us. We pray these things through the Son and by the Spirit. Amen.